0: Will you please pray with me? Now, Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Again, so good to see you all. A few years ago, I remember reading a news story that shocked me. The article read like this. Not showing up to a wedding you've said you'll attend is bad form. But billing wedding guests for missing meals is probably not the best way to handle (laughs) no-shows. That's the sticky situation that recently unfolded for Jessica Baker of Andover, Minnesota. The stay-at-home mom and her husband had planned to attend a cousin's wedding, but had to skip when their childcare fell through at the last minute. The invitation specifically said no children, so the couple stayed home. Well, a few weeks later, an invoice from the newlyweds arrived for the wedding meal they missed. I was pretty shocked to see that I was being charged $75 for herb-crusted walleye and a service and tax charge, Baker said. The invoice suggests that Baker did not let the bride and groom know that she and her husband couldn't make it at the last minute. A typed note on the bill reads, reimbursement, an explanation for no show, card, call or text would be appreciated. Wow, <laughs> the response of the bridal party does seem a little much. But perhaps they're onto something about the courtesy of giving them a reasonable excuse prior to the event for not being there. We had something similar happen on Dangal Island not too long ago, as the POA there considered how to reopen the pools safely during this pandemic. They set up a smartphone app so that people could make reservations and so that the numbers of people at the pool could be limited. Seemed like a great idea until it was realized that some people were booking multiple slots day after day for them and their family just in case they wanted to go to the pool. But then they were not showing up for whatever reasons. Well, this left those who couldn't get a slot fuming. You can imagine the ranting on social media and the call for these people to be banned from the pool for life. Well, fortunately, a better system was figured out with some suitable consequences for not showing up. But it was touch and go for a while. Well, in today's reading from Luke's Gospel, we have a story about people who don't show up and the consequences that they experience. And each of them has a seemingly good excuse, like the couple who couldn't make the wedding. But as we look more closely, we'll see that all is not quite what it seems. So let's turn to our reading for today and see what God might be saying to us through His Word. And once again, Jesus is teaching through a story. It's not a literal story in the sense that these events actually happen. No, it's what we call a parable or an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It takes something its readers can relate to or its hearers and then teaches an important message about the kingdom of God. And so we have the parable of the great banquet or what might be better called the parable of the three excuses. But we have to go back to the beginning of the chapter to fully understand the context of our story. In chapter 14, verse one, we read one Sabbath when he, that's Jesus, went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. They were watching him carefully. Jesus is being watched closely. The religious leaders are very suspicious of him and of what he's doing. They're concerned that they are going to lose their power and their prestige if his message is accepted by the people. Well, Jesus does little to assuage their concerns. First of all, he heals a man on the Sabbath, something that incredibly was against their rules. And then he has the nerve to challenge their desire for higher social status. He tells them that they are not to seek the seats of most honor at a dinner party, but to allow others the higher places of honor. It's a bit like saying to the mayor of Charleston or the governor of South Carolina, don't take the front seats or the front row seats of this premier performance. Just sit near the back. It would be completely counter-cultural. Well, then we come to our story for today, and it really doesn't get much better. In verse 12, Jesus turns to the host of this dinner party, and he says these challenging words. When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbours, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. As my 11-year-old son would say, awkward! <laughs> yes, you can imagine the awkward silence that follows these remarks. Well, probably trying to diffuse some of this tension, someone says something suitably Pious. In verse 15, we read, When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat the bread in the kingdom of God. It's a bit like saying, can't we all just get along after all? We're all going to be in heaven one day. But Jesus isn't going to let this slip by unchallenged. No, everyone is not going to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, there are going to be some surprising omissions even many of his chosen people, the Israelites. And so he begins the parable, verses 16 and 17. A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who'd been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Jesus is telling the story of a man who's planning a great feast at his home. The man or the master of the house is God the Father. And the many invited are the Jewish people. And the banquet itself is an allusion to the great banquet that the prophet Isaiah speaks of that will be happening at the end of history. In Isaiah 25, we read, On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Wow, that's some party, isn't it? And notice that it's for everyone. This is a joyful celebration for all peoples, not just the Jews. Everyone who accepts the invitation, who trusts in him, is welcome at this party. Now, Middle Eastern culture, a banquet like the one Jesus is describing, is a major affair. One that involves two invitations. First, an initial invitation, and an RSVP. And then, when the time of the party comes, a second invitation. The owner sends out the servants to announce the beginning of the meal. So to opt out of the meal at this stage is very rude because you've already RSVP'd that you can come. Or at least it's rude without some very convincing excuse. Which brings us to verse 18. Here we read about the first party goer's excuse. Jesus says, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Well, the reason for missing actually seems pretty legitimate, doesn't it? After all, who wouldn't go and see a piece of property that they just bought? But if you actually stop and think about it, this is like one of us telling a party host that we're telling them we're going to go to that we've just bought a house today over the phone. And now we need to drive across town to look at it and then do the inspection. Nobody does this. It's absurd. As Kenneth Bailey, an Ancom priest who lived in the Middle Eastern culture for 40 years, puts it, buying and selling cropland is long, a long and exacting process that tends to stretch out over months and even years. The excuse offered by the first guest is a public insult to the host. Well, the second excuse is no better. Verse 19. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Again, it's seemingly plausible, except the numbers don't add up. Who buys five oxen? They only work in teams of two. And more importantly, who buys them without examining them first? Again, it's absurd and therefore it's insulting. To it's be like one of us saying, well, I'd love to come to that party that I said I was going to come to. But I just bought a three-wheeled car and now I have to go inspect it and make sure it's okay. Which isn't to offend any Robin Reliant owners. Just Google it if you're not sure what a Robin Reliant car is. (laughs) Well, as if the first two excuses weren't bad enough, we then come to the last one in verse 20. Another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. The final excuse is just terrible. And this guy probably knows it because he doesn't even apologize or go through the formality of asking to be excused. To quote Kenneth Bailey again, the third man's excuse is unspeakably offensive. The third guest is very rudely saying, I have a woman in the back of the house and I'm busy with her. Don't expect me at your banquet. I'm not coming. Ouch. Well, I wouldn't want to be in the servant's shoes as he returns to his master's house. But back he goes. And in verse 21, we hear his boss's initial response. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry. Not surprisingly, his master is furious and justifiably so. These people who had initially RSVP'd positively have now left him in the lurch and a great expense. It was probably tempting just to say, well, to hell with everyone. But the master in this story represents our heavenly father. And he's concerned that as many as possible go to heaven and not hell. His nature is full of grace, extravagant grace, no less. And he, as Jesus says in John uh, John 3, verse 17, did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And so, moving on in our story, we see something that those present would not have been expecting. The master says, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges, and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. To the hearers of this story, the master is scraping the barrel by inviting these kinds of people. He doesn't care about social status. He just wants as many people as possible to join the banquet to the point that he sends out his servant a second time and tells him he must compel people to come in. Now sadly, the word compel is the Greek word hanakadzo, has been used by some to justify the use of force to make others submit to the Christian faith, for example, during the Spanish Inquisition. But this isn't what Jesus is implying. No, what he knows is that when an outsider, someone with no social status, is invited to the banquet of a nobleman, he'll have a very hard time believing that he's really wanted there. It's a bit like if someone were to tell you you were invited to dinner with the governor of South Carolina or the president of the United States, You might think it was a trick that someone was trying to play on you. Well, the messenger, therefore, who delivers such an extraordinary invitation will need some special way to convince or compel the outcasts that they're indeed wanted and they are invited. And what could be more compelling to an outcast than the cross of Jesus Christ and the love shown upon it? It is the love divine of which we just sang. Love divine or love's excelling. Joy of earth uh, came down. Joy of heaven to earth came down. Fix in us thy humble dwelling, all thy faithful mercies crown. Jesus, thou art all compassion, pure unbounded love thou art. Visit us with thy salvation. Enter every trembling heart. Here at the cross we find forgiveness for the sinner. And freedom for the addict. Here we find healing for the sick. And mercy for the enslaved. Here is hope for the hopeless. And rest for the weary. Peace for the anxious. And joy for those who mourn. And here is life eternal for the walking dead. As a 19 year old at rock bottom. I was compelled to turn to Jesus. By his cross and resurrection. And the love he showed to me. I was a sinner in desperate trouble, an outcast in need of a place to call home. And it's that same love that has compelled me to follow him for 25 years since, and that will compel me to do so for the rest of my life. Hopefully you too can say the same. But as the story reveals to us, not everyone will, and they will face the consequences of their choices. All are invited, but some will choose not to come. Occasionally I hear people ask the question of how God can refuse entry to his kingdom to anyone. But it's not so much that he refuses, but rather that we choose not to enter. God won't force us to join the party. Yes, he will present a compelling case, but he's not created robots designed to choose as he would have us choose. We have a part to play in this process because he wants a response made out of love for what his son Jesus has done upon the cross. A genuine repentance of heartfelt thanks for his life, death and resurrection. As we come to a close, a word of warning. It would be easy to consider ourselves superior to the religious leaders listening to Jesus. But if we're honest, how many of us make excuses all the time? We accept the initial invitation to follow Jesus, but then we make excuses when the cost seems too high. We get our priorities all mixed up. As the commentator Kent Hughes puts it, the question for Jesus' hearers and us is, do we really want to attend the feast? Or are other things more important? Our portfolios, our cars, our homes? It has cost Jesus everything to prepare the feast. pain. Tears, flesh, and blood. Now he invites us to come and drink the blood he has shed and to eat the bread that has cost him everything. Friends, don't reject the love of Jesus because none of those who do will experience the great banquet, the heavenly feast of the kingdom of God. Choose him first in your life. Choose him in your finances. Choose him in your schedule. Choose him in your short term planning. Choose him in your long term planning. Choose him in your families. Choose him in your marriages. Choose him in your relationships. Choose him in your viewing habits. Choose him in your reading habits. Choose him in how you drive. Choose him in how you speak. Choose him in how you use social media. Choose him in how you eat and drink. Choose him in how you treat the least of these, the widow and the orphan. Yes, it cost him everything. And it costs us everything too, but the reward is far, far greater than the cost. So stop making excuses and choose to accept his invitation to live life as it was meant to be lived, not some pale imitation. His extravagant grace has made the way. So repent and receive the gift of eternal life and live for him alone. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, come, come move in our hearts. Lord, where there is a need for repentance because we've been making excuses, help us to turn back to you and help us to turn and walk in a different direction, walking towards you, following you, Jesus. And Lord, where there is a need for us to live for you alone, would you help us to choose you each and every day, even when the cost seems so high, Would you come by the power of your Holy Spirit and would you by your grace set us free to be able to follow you? We pray this in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. Amen.